0: and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Amen. It, I, y'all act like you like that song. <laughs> I, I leaned over to, uh, to Crystal and I said, I feel like we've sung this a lot lately. And she said, oh, we could sing this every Sunday. <laughs> and, so, so, one of the things that some of you may not know, that's actually one of my favorite songs. But I don't think that we've sung it a lot lately because it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, man, you guys just start raising the roof on it. And so, uh, praise the Lord. What a day that will be. Amen? Uh, and soon and very soon, uh, I've told you I'm going to see the King. And uh, I'm ready for that. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you all waiting for Effie's to open on Wednesday? Is it Wednesday? Did I get the date right? I think it's Wednesday. (laughs) I think everybody's looking forward to Effie's and Carousel and all the ice cream shops opening up uh, this week. And uh, how many people are just happy to spring forward? (laughs) Y'all didn't get the question, did you? (laughs) Man, I know. I, th- I was trying to think of some kind of, something cheesy to say, to go with spring forward, and, and I thought, man, maybe we ought to have like spring rolls on spring forward, spring roll Sunday. Uh, but, but no, man, I'm just happy to be able to get here and be here, amen, to worship our Lord and Savior. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15 this morning, and I want us to look, we're going to zero in on one verse, and then we'll, we'll kind of go through the passage Of John chapter 15, but thank you so much again for being here. As Travis said, uh, you have honored us with your presence. I I certainly hope and pray that you'll grab one of those connection cards or use uh, text that word visitor online um, that we share with you to uh, fill out a connection card. Certainly we want to uh, give you a gift just to say thank you for being here. Uh, But uh, man, I can tell you uh, uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful day yesterday. I want to thank the ones who were here early. Uh, yesterday morning at about 8, uh, about 10 after 8, the power went out all over the campus. And we had, uh, you know, only a couple thousand people rolling in for upward basketball y- yesterday. And, uh, and so we were scurrying about and uh, we opened up the shades the best we could in the gymnasium and Yesterday was a day that I wish we would have had some skylights in that roof, uh, in the gymnasium so that we could, uh, have seen better. But, uh, I just told people, I said, man, we just got to start praying. We just got to start praying that God will take care of this. The wind was uh, over the top up here and, uh, the power went out. And so we started game one, no power. And you know what? The parents and the families were great about it. It was an amazing thing. And, uh. We were trying to use battery-operated bullhorns uh, to, to call out team names, and they were, ha- they were on the fritz, no batteries, and, and on and on. It was just a wonderful time. <laughs> and, uh, but really, you know what? It was probably the sweetest halftime devotion of the whole day, wasn't it? Because just like now, the place got very quiet. And Travis was able to point people to the love of God in that he proved his love, in that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And so it was a wonderful, wonderful day yesterday. And uh, I just want to say thank you again to everybody who's labored with our Upward Basketball and Cheer ministry. Uh, We have a break this week. Somebody asked me, what are you going to do this Saturday? I said, sleep in. At least till 6.30, all right? And so anyway, so uh, thank you so much for that. And then uh, next week, the following week on the 25th will be our awards celebration. So let's get back to uh, the the task at hand. Look at uh, John chapter 15. And uh, I want to draw your attention to one verse of scripture. If you'll drop down with me, I want you to look at uh, verse number 16, Verse number 16, John chapter 15, verse number 16. And this is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says to his disciples. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... We are grateful that uh, we can sing songs of praise and we do give all praise and glory to your holy and wonderful name. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your throne and to lift our petitions before you. And certainly, Lord, we are grateful people. We are thankful for what you have done in allowing us to be here. We are thankful that you have given us the very breath of life and Lord, as we gather here, we know that there are those who are not able to be with us this morning. And So, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to have your hand of healing on all of our friends and family members here at Battlefield who have recently had surgeries, those who have gone through strokes and are recovering. We think of Rosalie, and God, we just give you the praise for the miracle of her healing that is taking place even in this moment. Lord, I pray that you continue to strengthen her and Jim, and Lord, we thank you for what you have done in Marilyn Rich Creek's life, and the answer to prayer there, and Mary Felon's with her recent surgery there with her brain tumor, and Lord, the fact that she's able to be home, Lord, we give you the praise for that. Lord, we look forward to what you'll do through our dear brother Elmer's health as he prepares for surgery this week, and Lord, I pray that you just strengthen him and with the family during this time. Lord, and so many others that are significantly hurting this morning. Lord, I think of my dear friend and brother, Barry Barlow. Lord, I pray that you would give him the health that he desires. Lord, that you would strengthen him even as we are here worshiping you, that he has might have already found some relief this morning. Lord, I pray for others. I pray for my dear wife who is not feeling well. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen her during this time. Lord, but I pray most of all that I would step backward and that you might step forward and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because, Lord, you are my strength and you are my redeemer. And So, Lord, we give you the praise for what you will do in the next few moments of time. Lord, I pray that we will clear all distractions so that we might hear from you, your word, and your spirit as it speaks to us this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's one that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today will be that divine appointment when they will realize and that they will gain new life in Christ. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and look forward to what you'll do during this message. And we do so in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake we pray as a body, amen and amen. Well, again, thank you for being here and certainly... uh, Travis and I really didn't plan a series of sorts, but if you've been here over the past few weeks, you've probably identified that some things are taking place, and it's just the way the Holy Spirit works, and uh, four weeks ago, I talked about being driven by love, and we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, and and the fact that uh, the Apostle Paul says that the the love of Christ constrains us, or compels us, or, or holds us to do certain things, and then we looked at a very difficult passage of Scripture in Romans 1 and uh, talked about being driven by truth and, and the fact that at that time there were people who knew the truth but they were suppressing the truth. They were holding it down. And the Bible says that they held the truth or suppressed it in unrighteousness. And so we looked at that and, and kind of to take it another step, Travis preached a, an amazing message in which he shared with us about the fact that the lost actually mattered to God. And because they matter to our Lord, they should matter to us. And then last week, uh, everybody's most favorite message of the year, I asked the question, is hell a real place? And so we talked about what many typically shy away from, but we talked about the reality of hell. And so today I thought it would be appropriate that we would continue the discussion by asking ourselves, why have we been chosen? Now, the reality is, if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, and some of you have been joining us on Wednesday nights, I'd encourage you to do that as we've been going through uh, Ephesians. If we look at Ephesians 1 and verse number 4, the Bible says that we have been chosen in Christ, watch this, before the foundation of the world, right? But the reason that we've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, is so that we would be holy and without blame. Right, and so there's this implication that as being chosen by the Father in Christ before the foundation of the world, isn't that good? Before I, I said this in our study, before you read Genesis one one, in the beginning, God, God already knew and had chosen you. Isn't that good? Oh, that's amazing to think about. But here in John chapter fifteen, as followers of Christ, we see, I believe. Something that's very significant for us when we kind of put together the idea of being driven by love, driven by truth. We consider the loss that they matter to God and so they should matter to us. And then we look at the fact that there is a place called hell. But as I said last week, let's not be discouraged because you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so look at me with me again at verse number 16 Because as followers of Christ, we want to ask the question this morning, and I believe we can ask and answer, why have we been chosen? Look at verse 16 again. The Bible says, Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so the reality is, I don't want to spoil the surprise but the answer very quickly is right there. It says you should go and do what? Bring forth fruit. That's, our, that's really, you say, well, is, is, there, is there more? Can we just shut it down now? Can we, can we go to lunch early? Can we go to brunch, as it were? Yes, we've been, we've been chosen in order to go and to bring forth fruit. In fact, someone has rightly said it this way. The only fruit that will ever endure to eternal life is the fruit which grows out of the cross. Oh, I've said many times, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, if you and I are going to glory in something, make sure that we're glorying in the cross of Christ. Amen? Oh, listen. As well as that's been said, it's also been said that last words are important. And here in John chapter 15, Jesus actually knows. If, if you've gone through this gospel, you know that Jesus knows that his time on earth, closed in flesh is coming to a close. And yet, even though his time is coming close, in fact, he actually knows that by the very next day, he's going to be hanging on a cross. That's how, that's how close his time is at this point. And so he knows that he's going to be hanging on a cross, and yet he has some important things to say to the people. In fact, uh, in John's Gospel, I, I put it this way in my notes, we're given a buffet, if you please. We're given a buffet of some of the most incredible teachings of our Lord and Savior before His arrest, before His mob trial, before His crucifixion, His beating and crucifixion. In fact, if you look back with me in John chapter 13, we find that in the upper room, after Jesus and His disciples observed the Passover feast... Jesus actually washes the feet of his disciples, verse 4 and 5. He shares the importance of being washed in him. Then he teaches them about serving. So he washes their feet. And then he shares the importance about not washing feet, but about being washed by him. Listen, and if you're not washed in the blood, there's a problem. Right? And that's why we tell people about Jesus, so they can be washed in the blood of Jesus. And that sounds very strange. But we sang a song, thank you. For the blood of Jesus this morning. Listen, so he washes their feet. He shares the significance about being washed in him. He teaches them about serving one another. In John chapter 13, he also, if you remember, he identifies Judas as the one who's going to betray him. And then he also, he shares a new commandment, which we'll get to here in just a moment at the end of of the passage. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. He also tells them that he's in the Father and the Father's in him. And then he wraps up in John chapter 14 by pointing to the beautiful truth about the Holy Spirit or the Comforter. Now, you're thinking, man, that's a lot of stuff that Jesus was sharing. That's why it's said that last words are important. He wanted to make sure that his disciples understood some things before he went to the cross to die for the sin of the world and so if their circuit breaker had not been blown enough by that point he begins in john chapter 15 notice what he says in verse number one of john chapter 15 he says i am the true vine and my father is the husbandman In other words, my father, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. My father's the farmer. My father's the the caretaker, if you please, of this vineyard that I'm about to talk to you about. Now, some suggest that they were already on their way to Gethsemane uh, uh, Gethsemane and and on and on. And so they would have seen a a vineyard or whatnot, whether he was in the upper room. I mean, people debate the strangest things. When did Jesus say this? Where where was he when he said, does it really matter? I don't think it matters. The reality is he's pointing them to a significant truth here because he knew that his time was running short. In fact, in John chapter 12, in verse 23, here's what Jesus said. He said, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? We'll go to the very next verse. In verse number 24, notice what he says. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, and it abideth alone. Watch this. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So he's talking about himself here in John chapter 12, but he's also making an allusion to you and I in the future as his children, as Christ followers. In fact, watch this. Travis was sharing it yesterday, but in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 6, the Bible says that Christ died for the ungodly. If you go to verse number 8, it says Christ died for us. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible reminds us that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And the beautiful picture of his death is that he died so that you and I could live. Now think about what he said in John chapter 12 and verse 24. Let me read it to you again. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Oh, listen, friends, are you grasping what's being said? The reality is that because Christ died for us, you and I, I know you're not going to like this, but you're a big old piece of fruit. Anybody like fruit? Let me ask you a question. Anybody ever had stale fruit? That's a no-no. That's a no-no. We like fruit that's tasty, right? We like fruit that looks good and tastes good. And on and on it goes. But the reality is that when Christ died, he brought forth much fruit, the whosoever wills of the world. And so we are his fruit. In fact, listen, he died so that we could live. In fact, that's what the Bible says over and over. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Romans chapter 6, and verse 6, the Bible says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Watch this. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Galatians 5, 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And you can go to Colossians chapter 3 and the Bible talks about all the things that you, should, you and I should mortify and put to death. And all the things that we are to take off or put off when Christ comes in. And the reason this takes place is because you and I are no longer, as Ephesians 2, 1 says, dead in our trespasses and sins. When Christ comes, the old is passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm not what I once was, but I'm nowhere near to what I'm going to be. Oh, listen, I'm not what I once was, but one day I'm going to ultimately be glorified. Oh, isn't that going to be good? One day, because of God's amazing love and grace and mercy and on and on we could go, we will be with Jesus. Oh, yes, all of this is made possible only because of Jesus. In fact, Paul put it this way, very familiar verse of Scripture. He says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was testifying, and this is the reality of every blood-bought child of God, he's saying, I'm under new management. I've been crucified with Christ. There was a way that I used to live, but I don't live that way anymore because Jesus has come in and made me a new creature. I don't act the same, I don't talk the same, and to be honest, I really don't look the same. Is that our testimony? Why have we been chosen? See, I know it's very quiet, but I hope you get excited here in just a minute because in a sense Paul is saying, "Listen, yes, I understand that Christ died so that I can live, but I am fruit, but I am also a fruit-bearing fruit. I'm not just set, I'm not just saved so that I can exist on the vine. Listen, it, it, as branches, if we're not bearing fruit, there's a problem." There's a problem somehow, and I would suggest, this might be a little controversial, you're not going to be a branch connected to the vine and not bear some kind of fruit. It's just not possible. It's not possible to be connected to the vine and not bear some type of fruit. It's springtime. How many people in their yards, because of the mild winter, already have flowers or something budding in their yard? Anybody? I've got daffodils hopping up everywhere. By the way, I didn't plant those stinking things. They just show up. (laughs) I I rue the day. I mean, the the guy who owned the house before us, man, he must have planted daffodils everywhere. And just when I think, man, I'm going to dig them up and then I'm going to put them in a certain area, I think I've got them all up and then next winter they pop up in more spaces. I'm like, these daggone daffodils, they're just hardy. Man, they just pop up everywhere. That's how we ought to be as believers. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 1, 21 and 22. Now, I'm reading here from the Christian Standard Bible. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, watch verse 22. He says, now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. At the moment that Paul writes this, you got to understand he's awaiting trial. He is in prison. And the reality of what he's saying is he's saying, listen, if I have the ability to live, If I'm not condemned to die, if I'm not made a martyr, and if I live, the reality is that if I live, I know that my life is going to be fruitful because I've been crucified with Christ. I'm not living according to me, myself, and I anymore. I'm living according to Christ. Oh, he said because of him, he could do some great things. And you say, well, pastor, how do you know this is what Paul was thinking? Well, because in verse 20... Of Philippians chapter 1 the reality is that we can know this because Paul had an expectation of a hope and his expectation and his hope was that Christ would be magnified in his body whether it be by life or by death and so we see this idea starting to kind of form shape now listen I'm just giving you this as background because it's gonna make sense here in a minute if Christ dies and bears fruit we're the fruit Now, guess what? We have to die in order to bear fruit. And this is what Paul was saying. And so, let's look back at our text. Look at verse 1. Jesus uses this familiar illustration to teach his disciples then, and you and I now. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. And so, just like a vine produces proper juice and nourishment to its branches, Jesus is making it clear to his disciples then and to us now that he is the source, watch this, he is the source of their strength and he's the source of their grace. And the same is true for you and I today. If you have any other source of strength, it's going to falter, it's going to fail. I've been there, tried that, failed over and over. You ever tried to do something in the arm of the flesh? Oh, you can do it for a little while because you're pretty strong, right? But I guarantee you that the arm of the flesh will fail you at some point. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the vine. I'm the source of strength. I'm the source of grace in your life. And you need to understand that you are the branches. I'm the vine. You get your sustenance, you get your strength, you get your everything from me. And the same is true for us. And then he says here, secondly, he says, like a vine dresser or farmer, he points to his father. He says, my dad, my father is the owner. He's the one who cares for the vineyard. And not only does he care for the vineyard, he's the one who is most interested in its growth. You say, man, I really care about the ministry of Battlefield Baptist Church. That's why I... That's why I served in Upward. Can I tell you, I'm so grateful for those who have served all across the board. We have people serving in children's ministry right now, and I'm so grateful for that. But do you know that you nor I could never care about this church as much as God does? He is the owner. He is the caretaker, if you please, of his church that was established by his son, Jesus Christ. As we read on, this this passage serves as a reminder, if you look at uh, uh, John 15 and 1, it serves as a reminder that God is actually in control and in charge. And the reality is, I think this, until you and I relinquish this notion that we are somehow an island unto ourselves, we are somehow in charge, we are somehow in control of our own destiny, our own life, our own livelihood, the reality is we will never, ever, ever be willing to accept our role as branches. See, when, we think I'm in, when I think I'm in charge, I essentially have said that I'm the vine. When I say that I'm in control, I'm essentially saying that I'm the vine dresser and the vine, I'm all wrapped up in one. And so we have to be careful to understand why we have been chosen. Oh, listen, you see a vineyard or a garden, the branches, they don't tell a vine or a plant what to do. I never saw a branch of a tree tell the tree what to do. Barry's helped us out and he planted a few trees in my yard a couple of years ago that I bought for Krista. I bought these, these uh, redbud trees. I bought them for her. That's her favorite tree. And so uh, I bought her the Colby tree. I bought her the Casey tree. And then I bought her the Lauren tree. Lauren is uh, really our daughter that the Lord gave us out in Missouri and came into our home Uh, much later in life. And so uh, we have these three trees. And, you know, the only thing that kind of concerned me about putting three trees was, Lord, please don't let one of them die. Because I'd already named them. I actually, I actually put signs on them that said the Colby tree and had a picture of Colby, had a little picture of Casey. When Krista came home that year on Mother's Day, they all had these signs. And uh, I, I will tell you, that was a tough Uh, way to get those trees in the yard without her knowing what was going on so that when she drove in the driveway they would be there Uh, but the reality is I look at those trees and you did a halfway decent job Barry of planting them (laughs) because they're still living (laughs) he said thank you they're still living but I would and Barry's the one to plant them I would never think to tell Barry how to plant a tree but you know those trees didn't tell him how to plant the tree either. And the branches didn't tell the vine or, the, or the, the base how to go about growing. See, there's a natural progression that goes on physically when we think about things like this. But there's a natural progression that goes on spiritually. As branches, we're connected to the vine. This is when it comes to our purpose as believers to go and bear fruit. We need to stop telling the vine or the vine dresser what we think or what we Uh, or how we uh, appreciate his or his plan, right? We're just to do our job. And look at verse 16. Jesus said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. That word ordained there literally means Jesus was saying to his disciples then, and now he's saying, I'm the one who placed you here. I'm the one who has appointed you to this. It is my job, not yours. You didn't choose yourself to go and bear fruit. I have chosen you. And so I would assume he said, hey, yes, maybe by faith you have agreed to follow me. You are walking with me. But you need to remember that your position and your presence is my doing. And John 15 reveals that we have all been given the same job to bear fruit. By the way, bearing fruit is not an option. It's actually an obligation, which is sometimes ruffles our feathers the wrong way. We say, man, all these obligations and stuff. The reality is, as we walk with Christ, bearing fruit will become natural. It's not something that you're going to have to coax up and try and do on your own. Because if you do, I can assure you, you are doing it on your own. And you're not doing it according to the Spirit. Look at uh, last week I shared, I was thinking about this. Last week I shared Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 2. But today I want to begin in verse number 1. I want you to see something that says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Then you go to verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. But watch, it goes on, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. There's a time, watch this, when we're born physically. But as Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, there's also a time where we must be born spiritually, right? Right? You could be born physically, but he told Nicodemus, there's a time when you must be born of the Spirit if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And from the moment, again, moment that we are born again spiritually until the moment we take our last breath, we're to be bearing fruit. And as I said, physically speaking, we think about fruit. It, is, it feeds us, it nourishes us, it should taste good, it should satisfy, and on and on. And by the way, another thing about fruit, sometimes you ever find any seeds in those pieces of fruit have you ever tried replanting a seed from a piece of fruit? Oh it can happen you could take the seeds from fruit and replant them and reproduce and you know what I've never seen apple seeds produce apricots I've never seen I've never seen oranges produce bananas. never seen grapes produce You know, a peach. Fruit reproduces after its own kind. That's physically speaking. But when we think of spiritual fruit, the reality is spiritual fruit should accomplish similar things. It should feed. It should nourish. It should actually taste good. It should actually satisfy After all, there are multiple multitudes of people who are empty and hungry and in need of the abundant life which only Christ can give. So with all of that said, with all of the background, and since everybody in this room is so excited about our call to go and to bear fruit, who's excited about going and bearing fruit? Five people. There are people who need Jesus. Could we agree? Everybody, there are people who need Jesus. And you people will meet people and know people and have relationships with people that I'll never meet. Same as me. I know people. I meet people. I see people in the store. I meet people in my neighborhood that you probably will never meet. The call to go and to bear fruit is pretty important when we consider the reality of there's a place called hell and the reality that there are lost people for whom Christ died for who still need to hear that he died for them and to lo- that he loved them. And so this idea of going and bearing fruit is so critically important. But let me give you three questions and then we wrap up the time. Three questions to guide uh, where we're at right now what does this fruit look like in our lives? If we're called to go and to bear fruit, what does the fruit look like in our lives? Now, certainly, we can go to Proverbs 11, and we can read Proverbs 11, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And that's true. But that's not all there is to what fruit looks like. We can look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. The Bible says, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And if you go on to verse 18, it takes it a step further and it says a good, tree cannot bring forth, uh, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Like I said, an apple tree does not bear apricots and on and on it goes. The same thing is true spiritually. In Luke chapter 6 verse 44, the Bible says, For every tree is known by his own fruit. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, you can show this, guys. The Bible indicates that because we have been made free from sin and become servants of God, that we will have our fruit unto holiness and to everlasting life. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. And that's a sacrifice of praise. And we can look and say, what does the fruit look like? It's all over scripture. James 3 and verse 18 talks about the fruit of righteousness being sown in peace. And so we've got fruit of our lips, fruit of righteousness, fruit of holiness, and on and on it goes. But What does it really look like in our lives? Look at verse number 9 of our text. In John chapter 15, Jesus shares with his disciples and us that the fruit bearing that he is speaking of begins with a... Dirty four-letter word. Sometimes people think it's a dirty word, but it's not. In fact, I've, I've met strong Bible-believing Christians who have been taught in error that this is a dirty word. But in verse number nine, listen. Listen. In verse number nine, Jesus makes it very clear about the fruit that he's talking about in our text. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Watch what he says, continue in my what? Do you love Jesus? I know he loves you. He loves you. If you've never heard that before, I need you to understand today that Jesus loves you and he loved you so much that he paid the ultimate price for you. He died. He laid himself down. He died so that you could live. He died so that you could be fruit and that you could be fruit that would go out and bear more fruit that you would continue to produce and this is what he's telling his disciples he's like guys I'm getting ready to die but what you need to know is I'm the vine my father's the husbandman, and you guys are the branches and so what you need to understand is that your strength, your, your support the network for success comes from me as it was given by the father and so the same thing is true for us and look in verses 4, 5, 6 and 7 Jesus had instructed his disciples to abide in him but then when we get to verse number 9 he takes it up a notch. He says, Hey, I've told you four times to abide in me. And if that's not getting through, McFly, he says, If it's not getting through, I want you to understand that you not only need to abide in me, but you need to abide in my love. And there's genius in what Jesus is saying. You say, That's a pretty odd statement because he's probably the smartest uh, uh, that we know. But there's real genius in what he's saying. Because he was telling his disciples then that as we abide in him, that we will be strengthened to do exactly what we have been called to do, which is go and bear fruit. But you're not gonna bear fruit if you don't abide in him and his love. Jesus also teaches, look in our passage in verse 10, in verse 12, and 14 and 17. He teaches us that fruit bearing includes the idea of keeping his commandments. In this passage alone, those verses are very real. Verse 10, it says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. This is my commandment. Verse 12, That you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 14, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Verse 17, These things I command you that you love one another. In other words, Jesus is saying that bearing fruit of love is a part of fulfilling his commands. Surprise, surprise. But you know what? There's a whole, whole group of angry people that get out there and they don't want to talk about the love of God. And then when you do talk about the love, they say, oh, man, that pastor, man, he don't have no strength or no courage. That's exactly what Jesus said. What I would say to my brother is you are not knowing the scripture. The reality is that we are commanded to go and to bear fruit. And the only way that we will go and bear fruit is if we continue in Jesus, if we continue in his love. Listen, if I'm not driven by love, there's no way I'm going to be driven by truth. And I'm talking about being driven by the love of Christ. I'm not talking about being driven by some kind of a fancy free worldly love. fleshly love I'm talking about being driven by the love of Christ listen we're not going to do it without being caught up in this this relationship that we have with Jesus in fact I didn't put it in in the text for the guys upstairs but in Matthew 22 listen to what Jesus said in verse 37 and following he says thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself And then he says in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Listen, when we are bearing the fruit of Christ's love, the reality is not only will we be loving God, but we will actually be loving others as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He loved us so much that he willingly laid down his life for us. So how do you love other people? It gets very quiet. But we cannot stop here because look back at verse number 16 of our text because Jesus concludes that the fruit bearing that we should be doing, he says that our fruit should remain. Speaking, he's talking about the the, the process of spiritual duplication, the process of continuing on, the process of, of spiritual duplication. In John 4, you remember he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. By the way, he's a Jewish man And and the Samaritan woman, she has no understanding why Jesus would even talk to her, right? And he talks to her about living water, but watch what he says. The disciples come back and they're like, what are you doing? What's going on here? And Jesus says, say ye not, there are four months, verse 35, and then cometh the harvest. But behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. But look at verse 36, and he that reapeth, He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth, watch what he says, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. He's not talking about earning our way to heaven here. He's literally pointing out the fact that spiritual fruit bearing is something that should and will last forever. It lasts forever. The fruit will literally remain In John chapter 13, Jesus, after he had washed their feet and talked about that importance and and identified Judas as the one who betrayed him, he finishes his discussion in John chapter 13, right, by giving them this new commandment. And he says in John 13 and 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then watch what he says in verse 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples and that you have love for one another. Listen, if you're gonna be a soul winner, If you're going to be a soul winner, the most powerful witness that you can have as a soul winner is allowing the reality of Christ's love to permeate your body and your mind, your words and your actions. If I go out and I attempt to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ who told me to abide in his love and I go out and I'm some angry dude, I'm some angry woman, I'm some cantankerous person, right? How many people you think are going to want to listen to me? 0.0 0. 0.0 and you say well who cares you just tell them anyway wouldn't it be better if i actually went out in the love of christ and said man brother bernie i gotta tell you man jesus loves you and he changed me from the inside out and i care about you i don't want you to spend an eternity separated from that love And he loves you and he died for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Man, would you allow me just a couple of minutes to show you from God's word how that you can know that you can have eternal life and this life is in Christ Jesus. It's not in you. It's not in your good looks. I mean, you're a good looking guy, but it's not in your good looks. It's not in your wages. It's not how, what a great living you've made. It's not in your home. It's not in your cars. It's not in your abilities or your education or on and on, but it's in Christ Jesus. Would you allow me to share that with you? I think I'm going to have a better response. and If I just go out flippantly and, you know, smack somebody across the head with the gospel. Listen, the most powerful witness that you're going to have for Jesus Christ is to allow the love of Christ to permeate your life to go in and through you. By the way, if Christ's love is in you, you're not going to be able to contain it. It's going to come out. You ever tried putting honey on a biscuit? Somebody say yes. We are in Virginia. I don't know what they do up in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but we put honey on our biscuits down here, Ernie, right? Anybody ever tried to do that? Invariably, I did it last night. That's why it's fresh on my mind. I'm still having visions of the honey and butter on that biscuit. First of all, I baptized the biscuit in butter. And Amen. Somebody's clapping. That's the first life you all have shown this whole message. I've been talking about Jesus' love, and it's... Do- I talk about a honey on a biscuit. Hey, <laughs> what's going on, brother? Hey, brother, yeah. man, you should have talked about honey about 30 minutes ago. I'd have been on board with you. I'm going to write that down next time when I preach this message. By the way, if it's good enough to preach once, it's good enough to preach twice. But anyway, I'll put down there, make reference to honey on a biscuit first. You know the reality of honey on a biscuit, unless you're really skilled at it, you can't keep the honey on that biscuit. It oozes all over the sides. Uh, uh, uh. Unless you're just like, "Uh, Pastor, you might wanna consider your honey intake. It's not very good for you. Uh, You're clogging up arteries uh, when you do that. Listen, I'm baptizing the biscuit in butter and honey, all right? And if that causes me to go see Jesus today, then I'm just going to go see him today instead of tomorrow. By the way, I'm not afraid of going to heaven. Anybody? We got a lot of people who are afraid to go to heaven. I don't understand it. like, we're like praying people away from heaven. Listen, I want to pray for our dear ones who are sick and need uh, prayer. But the reality is I'm not afraid of going to heaven. But the reality of that biscuit is you cannot contain the honey. And the reality in the life of a believer is that when Christ's love is permeating your love, your life, then you're not going to be able to contain it. It's going to ooze out. It's the most powerful witness that you'll ever have as a soul winner. And by the way, I'm not talking about some sappy milk toast love. I'm talking about a love of obedience. A love of obedience, a life of fruitfulness that results from abiding in Christ. And we can do that without being angry, can't we? Please, somebody say, I can do that without being angry. I can do that without being angry. We can do it, guys, without being angry. This This is what fruit looks like in our lives. This is what it looks like to abide in the love of Christ and the love that and allow that love that we're abiding in to seep through us and to flow to other people. Oh, but how do we go about bearing fruit? Well, the simple answer is really easy. Depend on Christ. How do we go about bearing fruit? Depend on Christ. The word depend literally depend literally means to rely on be controlled, or be determined by. As Christian, scriptures reminds us that we are not alone, we don't live alone, and we don't bear fruit alone. Look at verse 4 and 5 of our text, John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. He says, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So just as branches bear fruit without, uh, cannot bear fruit without being connected to the vine, neither can you or I bear any fruit that is gonna remain without being connected to the vine. You see what I'm saying? We can try, but it just doesn't happen. Look at verse seven. Verse seven highlights the importance of God's word and prayer. Jesus teaches us. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you this is not some kind of prosperity prayerful uh uh guru kind of thing this is talking about a reliance on the word of god letting the word of christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom admonishing one another in psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs right making melody in our hearts but it's also this idea of praying and understanding that when we are able we come boldly before the throne of god's grace where we can find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Oh, listen, this is what what it's talking about. Listen, if we hope to be fruitful, the word of Christ must dwell in us. In fact, you say, man, do you have any other verse to support that? Well, Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says this. It says, blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But he goes on in verse 2, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, his word. And in his word, or his law, does he meditate day and night. Look at verse 3, here it is. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth what? Fruit in his season. And his leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not only are we going to be blessed when we get into God's word, but we're going to be fruitful when we get into God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, friends, bearing fruit comes, becomes much easier when we are living our lives in accordance with God's word. In fact, I want you to do your own little, uh, own little study of John chapter 15. The reality is that Jesus in this passage from verses 1 through 17, he illustrates a life of no fruit. He illustrates what a life of no fruit looks like. He also illustrates a life of more fruit, and he illustrates a life of much fruit. And what's interesting is he actually gives us a key and a promise of success when it comes to bearing much fruit. In fact, look at verse number five again. In verse number five, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him. He says, he that abideth in me, and I in him. Watch what he says. The same bringeth forth what? Much fruit. Much fruit. By the way, let's be careful. It's not our fruit, it's his fruit. It's not, it, it, it's not like, hey, look what I did. No, how about let's look what Jesus did. Because the only reason we're a piece of fruit bearing fruit is because of what he did in our life. So we have to be careful about that. It's not about what we did, it's about what he did. And it's all about this idea of abiding, which refers to an ongoing process. Notice he says, he that abideth in me, that means continual It's a continuing process, a continuous process of feeding and watering and abiding in the vine. And verse number four reveals there's one thing that prevents us from bearing fruit. You say, well, other than not knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior, yes. But there's one thing that prevents us from bearing fruit. Look with me again in verse number four. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Did you see it? Did you see it there in verse 4? The one thing, watch this, this will be good for us all. The one thing that will hinder us from bearing fruit, from going and bearing fruit, is this little word, self. Right? It's the me, myself, and I syndrome. Notice what he says. He says, no branch can, he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Oh, listen, when we try to rely on self rather than our Savior, things go wrong time and time and time again. By the way, have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Paul he's told a lot of things that are going wrong with the church in Corinth. And so he's actually asked to write them a letter. And so this is what he does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice what he says. He says, I have planted, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is there he that planteth anything, neither that he that watereth, but God gives the increase. Listen, our Lord is the one who ultimately blesses and brings about our fruit. Our job is to simply go And as we go, our job is to abide. As we're going and as we're abiding in Christ, the reality is, if we're doing those two things, we will bear fruit. If we go, watch this, we say, I have good intentions, I'm going, but I'm not abiding in Christ, I can assure you, you're not going to be bearing fruit. If you say, well, I'm abiding in Christ, but I'm not willing to go. I just want to hoard it all for myself. Same outcome, no fruit. The reality is Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I've ordained you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Oh, listen, as we abide in Christ and stay in his word, continue to keep ourselves in prayer and share the gospel with other people, we can be confident that our Lord will actually give and provide fruit. And then the last question is simply you say we've looked at what what is this fruit in my life? How do we go about bearing fruit? Well, the last question is simply why should we bear fruit? Cuz Pastor Greg said so. Wrong answer. Well, why should we bear fruit? Because the Bible says so. It's a good answer, not the answer that I'm looking for though. Why should we bear fruit? Jesus said, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you and I've ordained you, I've appointed you, I've placed you right where you are to go and to bear fruit. Why should we bear fruit? Look at verse number 8. John chapter 15 and verse number 8. Jesus actually gives us the key, the key, excuse me. He says, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. As believers, our goal should not be to soak up all the blessings that we can, but our goal should be to bring God all the glory we can. And you know how we bring him glory? By going and bearing fruit. And we go and bear fruit as we abide in him and as we abide in his love. What does fruit look like? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You ever been to the produce department? Man, you ever go and see a shiny apple? Oh see, man, I'll tell you what. Not a lot of people I don't know how many I haven't taken a poll, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people eat plums anymore. Or nectarines. Man, I love a good nectarine. Anybody like nectarines? The kids over here are like, "What's a nectarine?" <laughs> like, like, seriously, man. Like our fruit palate has been severely limited over the years. Like if if all you know is an apple and a banana and orange, you're missing out, right? Man, you need to open up your fruit palette. I love just walking through. I'll be honest with you. The best produce department in this area, I'm not being paid by them. Right up the road here. and I love just to walk through their produce department. Just look, man. You know what, they actually act like they care what their fruit looks like. We should care what our fruit looks like because the vine dresser, our heavenly father is concerned and Jesus Christ, the vine, he gives us a key to success. I'm not asking you to do something that you're not capable of doing because you're not the one doing it. I'm your source of strength. Are you getting what he's saying? I'm not asking you guys to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. I'm not asking you to do it because you don't think you can do it on your own. I'm telling you that you don't have to worry. Because he says in John chapter 16, he says, listen, in this world, you're going to face tribulation, but it's okay. You're going to face heartache and you're going to face turmoil, but it's okay because I've overcome the world. He says, I'm the strength. I'm the source. I'm the grace. I'm the power that's going to infuse in your life and give you the ability to go out and to bear much fruit. All you have to do, hello, sheep, all you have to do is abide in me. Just hang out with me. Just get in my word. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you, Battlefield. Just get into the word. Just spend some time with me. Abide in me and I in you. See, the branch cannot do anything without me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You have no ability to do anything without me. But if you get into my word, and if you'll stay humble, if you'll humble yourselves before the sight of God, he'll lift you up in due season. He'll draw, listen, if if we draw nigh to God, the Bible says he'll draw nigh to us. I'll give you the ability to bear fruit. But we've gotten it all wrong. We think that it's us doing it. That's where we get off track. I don't bear fruit. And neither do you, sir. Neither do you, ma'am. We don't bear anything. It's Jesus bearing it through us. As we abide in him and his love, he gives us the strength. He gives us the power to go out and to win a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you do it? Why have we been chosen? We've been chosen to go and bear fruit. And the beautiful thing is that we're not alone. Jesus says, as long as you're abiding in me you're going to bear fruit. You're going to do it because I'm going to give you the so I'm going to give you the strength. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to give you the wisdom and by the way in case you think you are alone I left my spirit here with you to guide you into all truth and so you can do it. And so I ask you today how is it going with this reality of what you have been chosen for? Because I believe that that wasn't just for his disciples then. I believe that's a call for each and every one of us today. To go and to bear fruit. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with your spiritual journey? Some of you may may not have begun a journey yet with Christ. I want to tell you one thing. Darren wears it on a hat every day. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, I can tell you that he laid down his life. He died so that you and I could live. And if you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to trust him now. What are are we waiting for? Well, I'll get that settled one day, pastor. Can I tell you, that's a dangerous gamble right there. One day. I'll serve the Lord one day. Probably not. I've heard that before. Well, I'm going to get some things in order. When I retire, when I slow down, I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to do some big things for Jesus. No, you won't. Because by the time you get to that point, you know many people have the attitude I had someone say this to me at Upward Basketball a couple weeks ago. Not, a, not somebody that attends here, but it still doesn't change the point. Lady walked by and I, I jokingly said, oh, I said, would you sit down? Could you help me out? Could you just, when it gets to this, you know, push the button and sound the buzzer? And you know what she said? Ha, I've done my time. I've done my time. I've done my time. I was cordial. I said, oh, I hear you. Love you. I wonder what Jesus, what we would have thought, is if when he got on Golgotha, instead of allowing them to nail his hands and his feet to the cross, he would have gotten up and said, I've done my time. I'm going back to the Father. There are people who are empty, who are hurting, who are in need of the love of Christ. And those of us who have the love of Christ residing inside of us have been called to go and to bear fruit. And that fruit should remain because Jesus was speaking about spiritual fruit. He was not talking about anything else, but he was talking about a fruit that would remain forever and ever and ever. And the reality is, he said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you can bear no fruit. And so I encourage you, if you're a believer, take it seriously today. The opportunity to recommit yourself to abiding in Christ, to remaining steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I encourage you to do that. And If you're here and you're without Christ or you're watching and you don't know Christ, can I tell you a simple, humble prayer, not about the prayer, but in recognition of the fact of what Christ has done for you, you say, you know what? I believe that you are God. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you paid the price for my sins, and I'm trusting you based on what you did. Not what I'm doing, but what you've done. I'm trusting you as Lord and Savior of my life. Would you come into my life and change me from the inside out? A prayer like that is what our Lord wants to hear. And you can do that right where you're at. And so I pray that you'll do that, that you'll make the decision today to trust Christ. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. And in ways, this may have seemed like a heavy topic, but really, it's not. It's, it's a reminder that we have a wonderful, wonderful Savior who has, Lord, as you were telling your, your, your disciples and your closest disciples in that moment, as you were telling them that how they could go into a world Without you, you were telling them that as long as they abided in you, as long as they abided in your love, that they would bear much fruit. As long as they remained connected to you. The same is true for us. If we go in the arm of the flesh, we fail. If we're not abiding in you, we fail. So Lord, I pray as, as a body of believers that we will recommit ourselves to abiding in you, to worshiping you, actually to set aside time each and every day to give you the praise and the glory you deserve, to be a part of growing, to get into a small group Bible study, get around a group of people, a small group, that we might be able to grow in your word, that we might grow in our prayer life. God, that we might be fruitful and that the fruit would remain. Lord, I pray for those who may be calling upon you right now for the forgiveness of sin, who may be calling out, asking you to, come into their life for the very first time. Lord, I pray that you will will encourage their hearts, that they will understand that a new life in Christ is the greatest thing that they could ever have. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll work in this time of invitation, that we'll make use of this time. They'll not be ready to speed off and scurry away from your throne, but God, that we'll make use of this time and that we'll lift up our petitions before your throne knowing that we have the answers that we desire from you. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, will you be with us during this time of invitation? And we pray this in his name and for his sake, amen and amen.